You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that is not your history class. With me, your uh, recovered host, Katie Charlwood. Tap fixer and reader of books. Ha ha, take that, brother who is a plumber. Uh, basically, there's a tap that has been dripping in my... Oh no, it started again. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I had this tap and it was dripping and then I thought I fixed it, but clearly, clearly I haven't. That was... I, and I have to apologise to my brother. He doesn't listen, but if he did listen, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, as you can tell this week, I'm feeling much, much better. Much, much better. Um... I've just not been well. But yes, to everyone who was reaching out, I am feeling much, much better. Thank you so much. Uh, I am over the infection. I took all my antibiotics. I am doing great. And I and I want to thank I want to thank everyone for their their uh, iTunes Apple Podcasts. That's right, Apple Podcast review. I got an amazing one this week. Okay, Cliff Notes version. Family are travelling to see Six the Musical and it's like a three-hour car journey and they're travelling away and they're listening to me talk about the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Uh, which is like, honestly, I think one of my better things I've ever done. I'm so proud of it. Thank you. And their family are travelling at two girls. I think one's like 14 and one's 11, I think. And they're listening to me swear and call Henry VIII a lot of bad words. Because I do. I do call him many mean things consecutively, one after another, in a row. And 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 they said they said in the review, um it's it's marked as explicit, which it is. <laughs> and all I can think of in my head is like, she does say the word fuck a lot, but the kids liked it, it was fine. And these, and these kids, their parents were quizzing them afterwards and they had retained like a ton of information that I had obviously, you know, said during the podcast. I, I got a lot of positive reviews as well um, when I had my daughter, my five-year-old, as my co-host uh, and I will be bringing her back for bonus episodes because people really seem to enjoy her um, telling me off. So that's, that's fun. If we're lucky, my boy might join us sometime. I mean, the reviews are great anyway, because 
every time you get a five-star review and someone comments on it and someone leaves, you know, some words there, it actually helps boost you up sort of the, the Apple charts. Ridiculously amazing for me because I'm just one wee person over here in Ireland. You know, just trying to like share history and stuff that I find like fascinating and interesting. But when you get reviews that are so full of joy and are delightful, it really just makes me feel good. I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel amazing and that people are learning and they're enjoying learning history. So if you do want to leave a review, please do. I love to hear your stuff and not just to, you know, stroke my ego. Although that is nice, I'm not going to lie, I do like, I do like compliments. And I know what you're thinking by now, quit your jibber jabber woman and fact me. And fact you, I will. But first, we have got to get our source on. First thing, okay, so um, I'm actually, I don't usually do this, I'm going to mention the Frida Kahlo movie starring Salma Hayek. It was a 2002 film, which I watched uh, just as an excuse, I'll be honest with you, because I like it, so I did that. But we also have Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo by Hayden Herrera. Frida Kahlo, the last interview and other conversations by, you know, Frida Kahlo. <laughs> and The Diary of Frida Kahlo, an intimate self-portrait, uh, which is a book by Frida Kahlo. And of course we have our old favourites, biography.com, smithsonian.com and... Britannica.com. If I pronounce anything wrong, feel free to just tell me because, you know, I'm probably going to fuck it up. So, Magdalena Carma Frido Calo y Calderon was born on the 6th of July 1907 in um, which was like this little village on, you know, the outskirts of Mexico City. Her dad was Guillermo Calo, who was originally from Germany. Although, I'll be honest with you, German is not the first thing that comes to mind when I see the name Guillermo. Although, the first thing that comes to mind when I see the name Guillermo is um, what we did in the shadows. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> He's originally from Germany and then emigrated to, like, Mexico. And her mum was Matilde Calderon y González. Was um, mestiza. Meaning she was... So, a mestiza, mestizo, mestiza, they're people who are of mixed European and indigenous um, sort of ancestry and heritage. Mathilde's father was indigenous and her mother was of Spanish descent because, you know, Spain invaded Mexico and was like, hey, we're taking this now. So Frida, she is the third of four girls. So there's Mathilde, Adriana and Cristina. And then she's also got like two half-sisters because Guillermo was married before that. Um... But those two sisters were raised in a convent, so that's that's not okay. Listen, I don't know about you, but near enough every nun I've ever met have been terrifying. And you're, this is from someone whose godmother is a nun. So according to Frida, like both her parents are sick when she's growing up, and like the, her relationship with her mother is, um, I'm gonna say tense, because like for as much as her mother was like kind and, and loving and considerate. She was also um, a religious fanatic. And between like the Civil War and the government being overthrown, it, it's just not an easy place to live. And you think this is a tough enough childhood, but when she's six, she contracts polio, a disease which you rarely see nowadays because, you know, 
We created a vaccine for it. I'm just saying. So she's six. She's got polio. One of her legs ends up shorter than the other. She's isolated, away from everybody. Like, that's tough as fuck for a kid. I mean, on the plus side though, it meant that she got to spend like more time with her dad, who had epilepsy. And so they had this little shared like bond because they're both disabled. And because of this, she ends up with this greater understanding and appreciation for like nature, philosophy, literature and, and art. Because she's been set, she ended up starting school like a year later and ended up going at the same time as her younger sister, Christina. So they go to like this local primary school and then they go from the local primary school and then um, the girls got homeschooled for a bit. But then, so like the other three sisters, they get sent to like a convent school, but Frida gets sent to a German school because, you know, she's her dad's favourite. But um, Frida being the rebel that she is, she gets expelled for being disobedient. So she gets expelled from the German school because, you know, and she ends up at this vocational school, which she ends up leaving because she's sexually abused by one of the teachers, a female teacher, by the way. She gets accepted into this national preparatory school because like it had only just started letting women in. And I mean like very recently, cause um, out of 2000 students, like 30, 35 were, you know, women. While she's there, she's very, you know, she's really leaning into this whole college experience. She like immerses herself in Mexican culture, social justice, political activism, and the school itself is promoting um, indigenismo, which is like the whole thing about a Mexican identity because because like the Mexican Revolution happened in 1910, and because it's you know post-colonial, it's really trying to like create not create but like help blossom and help grow and blossom this sort of Mexican identity and, you know, indigenous heritage. Oh, and speaking of the Mexican Revolution, like, so she starts telling people she was born in 1910, making her a couple years younger, but more importantly to her, that this is the year of the Mexican Revolution. And this is something we're going to find here and there. Like, Frida Kahlo, she has a habit of embellishing the truth. Like when it comes to her father, Guillermo, she tries to say her father's family, they're like her dad and like that, they're of Jewish descent, but they're actually Lutheran. But anyway, she's at school, she's studying to be a doctor. You know, you know, her life has finally come together. She's got some drive. Years and years recovering from a childhood full of illness and pain. So 1925, she's She's really into it. She's studying to be a doctor and she's on a car journey. As fucking unlucky as they come. Her and her boyfriend Arias. Arias? Arias? So her and her boyfriend Arias, they're coming home from school one day and they get off one bus because they're lost an umbrella or some shit and they get on a second bus. And this second bus, it tries to overtake this electric streetcar and fucking hits it. So it kills a bunch of passengers. Arias has some minor injuries and Frida is skewered, skewered by this iron handrail, which goes through her pelvis. 
So Arias and a few other people physically pull it out of her, which by the way, you should not pull a giant piece of metal out of anybody without, you know, proper medical people nearby, because that's just a recipe for disaster. So this fucking rail punctures her abdomen and her uterus, her pelvic bone is fractured, her right side is basically fucked, her right leg is broken in 11 places, her right foot is is dislocated and crushed, her shoulder is dislocated, her collarbone is broken and three vertebrae in her spine are displaced. So this accident completely destroys the life that she was planning to have. Like everything that she had been working towards is just gone. So because of the accident, she ends up having to wear this, I want to call it like a plastic corset thing. It's basically like a cast, but I don't know if you've ever seen um, orthotic boots. It's like that, but for a body. So she basically ends up in this body brace, this like plastic corset thing, which means that she's confined to bed rest for like three months. And unfortunately for Frida, the accident didn't just tarnish what was already there. Yeah, there she is, confined to bed rest, her dreams of being a doctor shattered. And spoiler warning now, she spends the rest of her life in chronic pain. Like, it is excruciating and it is constant and that is something we need to remember throughout her life and because she's stuck in bed with nothing to do so she ends up with this easel which is like designed to fit over her bed and she just starts like doing like medical illustrations is probably the easiest way to put it by the time she's actually free of the bed a lot of her friends they're now at uni and they're all involved in politics and so Frida, she just slides right in there. Or, you know, as well as one can. You know what I mean. So she starts hanging out with her mates again, which leads her to join the Mexican Communist Party. So as she's bouncing around her wee social circle, she meets Diego Rivera, who was 20 years older than her and had two common-law wives, which is always fun. But... Frida and Diego, so they end up getting married in 1929 and her parents called it a marriage between an elephant and a dove because Diego was like, was like tall and overweight and Frida's like this wee skinny, like, thing. But, you know, they, they did approve of the marriage um, because Diego was, you know, fucking loaded, which meant that Frida was actually able to have the medical treatment that she required because it was fucking expensive. But yeah, so they get married and it's like the big thing in Mexico. People are obsessed with this. So basically she marries him, they move away off somewhere and they move out to this like rural bit because he's going to paint some mural or whatever. Yeah, so he's going to do some murals for the the Palace of Cortes. And because he supports some like leftist group, he gets kicked out of the Mexican Communist Party. And out of, like, solidarity and shit, she's like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. She resigns her membership. She leaves too. She's like, no, we're good. We're going to go now. And, okay, this, this is where Frida gets a wee bit dodgy. So, like, during this time, like, a lot of Mexican women, a lot of artists, intellectuals, that whole jazz, 
they start wearing these lots of um, traditional indigenous Mexican clothing. The long, colourful skirts, the hopilis, the rebosos, the headdresses, the jewellery. And she specifically chose, she appropriated, for lack of a better word, she chose a style known by people of uh, Tehuantepec. I'm so sorry. Um, the Tijuana? Tijuana? Um, so she had the Tijuana um, style. <sighs> I have tried to pronounce this. Okay, I'm not going to tell you how many times I've tried to pronounce this. Um, Tijuana? Tijuantepec? No? I'm not even close. Somebody just pronounce it for me and be like, this is it. So she's wearing this Tijuana outfit. Um, but she, by her own admission, has no connection to the place like heritage or ancestry-wise, she just felt a connection to the people. I'm using air quotes. Felt a connection to the people. She preferred that style. And apparently the the Tijuana people, supposedly, allegedly, possibly, Tijuana people were originally um, like a matriarchal society, which is why she leaned towards that. And while I can understand her electing um, to connect to that. I mean, obviously as an outsider looking in and without reading into this, I would have assumed that she had a connection, that this was part of her heritage or that, you know, this was more appreciation than appropriation. But granted, now we know better. And as much as I love Frida Kahlo and everything she did and everything, especially with you know, everything she went through, because fuck it, I live with chronic pain every single day. My spine is wrong. The bones in my feet are wrong. Like, there's shit wrong with me. And here's the thing, like, my, I deal with chronic pain every day. My back is, for lack of a better word, fucked. So like, you know, some things are just fucking tough. Because it's not just the physical shit you have to deal with, there's an emotional drain to all of this. And I'm getting really deep into this, but but when it comes to people, we have to give a 360 degree view. I can't just be like, I fucking love her art. I love, you know, the fact that she was an activist and a feminist and all this. And although I might assume that it's appreciation, the Tijuana people, people who are descendants of the Tijuana people, feel that this is appropriation. And if that's what they feel, because it's their fucking heritage, and I have no right to speak on it, then absolutely. That is my ignorance. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. And because the Tijuana people were supposedly, possibly, allegedly, a matriarchal society, she felt like their particular style of dress was a great way for her to express her feminist values and her pro-Mexican, anti-colonialist ideals. And in a sense, this is great. You know, we love to see people promote their heritage. Unfortunately, 
for Frida, she didn't have any link to the... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I've tried several times, but I keep fucking it up. But I'm so sorry. Someone tell me how to pronounce it properly because Google ain't helping me here. The Teahuantepec people, um, she's got no connection to them. She basically said that... So, yeah, people think that Diego Rivera is the absolute shit. He is the cat's pyjamas, the bee's knees. And so, um, because, you know, his whole thing is murals, he gets invited to the US to, well, paint a bunch of fucking murals. And naturally, he takes his wife. They are very well received in the US. You know, they're in San Francisco. They're in Detroit. Um, the first time they head to the US, she starts an affair. She starts this like love affair with this Hungarian-American photographer, Nicholas Murray. So, so, okay, so like this is a bit of a sticky wicket because it's never implicitly stated whether or not this is an, it's an open marriage. So it's kind of a based on our interpretation. So either they both had affairs mm, or they were in an open marriage and they were being polyamorous and hopefully practicing ethical non-monogamy. But we can all live in hope. They had been sort of bopping between like Mexico and the States because he was just getting commissioned to paint a bunch of fucking murals. You know, because it was the end thing or whatever. So he was a well-known artist. He was revered probably in a sense. Diego, he ends up opening um, he ends up having a retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. By 32, they're in Detroit, because Diego's out painting murals again. And Callow, Frida Callow, she fucking despises it there. She is a staunch anti-capitalist, and she absolutely resents having to hobnob with the likes of Henry and Edsel Ford, partially because, again, anti-capitalist and anti-colonial, but also, they were anti-Semitic and granted, I don't know whether she believed that her father's family were Jewish or whether she just had a, or whether she just wasn't a complete dick who believed that regardless of your race or your creed or whatever, you deserve to be respected. Un- unless that creed involves you hurting other people, obviously. That's not cool. I mean, like, in general, you know what I mean? We don't just hate people because they're... Christian or Jewish or Muslim, you know what I mean? Like, anyway. Also, in addition, furthermore, Frida is really fucking pissed that a lot of these hotels in Detroit don't allow Jewish guests. And not only that, the disparity, the difference between rich and poor, that divide, she cannot fucking abide it. She hates it. Like, ragefully hates it. And it doesn't rain but it pours. When she's in Detroit, Frida realises she's pregnant and she's like, no, this is a no-grow zone. I gotta get rid of this. She tries to have a medical, a medicinal abortion, but the meds don't work. So she's like, fuck, guess I'm having a baby then. But then she ends up suffering a miscarriage. People think people think that miscarriages are easy. That they're simple and they're not um, genuinely horrific and excruciating, but they are. And they're also really fucking dangerous. So this miscarriage causes a serious hemorrhage. Like, it's really fucking dodgy. She is hospitalised for two weeks, you know, just to make sure she doesn't die. And like I said, 
when it rains it pours so while she is recovering and she's still in the states her mother dies and regardless of how complicated a relationship you have with a parent when they exit this mortal coil it's gonna affect you see her mom died basically her mom needed surgery and there was complications that happened because of the surgery and she passed away and Frida couldn't be there and it just all built up you know so while she's stuck in the states she you know her english gets better she becomes more fluent and she starts chatting to you know the american press and she's getting more confident and more boisterous and she's like yeah this fella right here he's all right for a wee boy but you know i'm the real artist here she's basically like declaring that out of the two of them she's the better artist and frankly i kind of have to agree so she's in new york she's fucking bored diego he's painting murals for the rockefeller center Ooh, cool which he then gets fired from i might add and then goes and paints a mural for somebody else but while she's stuck in new york frida ends up creating this painting called my dress hangs there it's basically an anti-capitalist statement piece and it's fantastic so another year or two goes by and frida just wants to go home she doesn't want to stay in the states she wants to go back to mexico she wants to go back to her roots and eventually diego's like fine off we go you know once he's finished whatever mural he's done and it gets unveiled and he gets his applause and his praise and his compliments they head off back to mexico city and naturally they end up in like the wealthy neighborhood because they're cool and rich now um so they're in san angel it's two houses so like they live in these two houses frida has a blue house diego has a pink house and there's like a little bridge that joins them so like they own they both have their own space they can connect when they want to which is really really handy you know considering they're all banging everybody we know at least diego dipping his wick in somebody's wax you know what i mean and here's the thing you think oh they have a, a house with a bridge clearly things are going well for them relationship wise um no not even a little bit not at all so they are fighting and he is discontent and he blames frida for them being in mexico because he doesn't want to be mexico city he wants to be the big i am up in the fucking states but no he's in mexico city and he he's mad so he does the completely reasonable thing for any scummy husband to do and i think okay so like whatever your roles and boundaries are regarding ethical non-monogamy i think family members in general family members and close friends are off the table um that being said diego decided that he was gonna start shagging christina frida's younger sister so she finds out about this and she's like fuck this for a game of soldiers and off she pops no she moves out because i don't care how open your marriage is don't shag their sibling no so she leaves him she's living in mexico city all by herself she's living her best life and she is seeing american artist asamo noguchi which i've probably pronounced incorrectly so like later that year she manages to reconcile with her sister christina and her husband diego even though they were fucking each other and i assume at this point the affair stopped because that would be that would be weird and that takes sister wives up to a whole new level i can't nah that's nah 
And when she's in Mexico City, Frida just can't catch a fucking break. Her health is just declining rapidly. Her appendix bursts and she has to have it removed. She has two more abortions, which are fucking tough on your body anyway. And they have to amputate her toes because of gangrene. So the couple get back together. And this is the point where this is very much an open relationship because they're both together, but they're both very aware that each other was having affairs. But again, I really hope he stopped shagging the sister because that's, that's just wrong. So Frida, she gets back into her activism. She joins the Fourth International and she becomes a founding member of, of a Solidarity Committee, which provides aid to the Republicans in the Spanish Civil War. Because, you know, she's not super into monarchy. I'm sure we can guess why. And this is where things get even more interesting because Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera, they petition the Mexican government to grant asylum to Leon Trotsky. That's right, the former Soviet leader, Leon Trotsky. And they succeed with Trotsky and his wife Natalia Sadova moving into La Casa Azul. Anyway, back to painting. Frida Kahlo has her first ever solo art show and it's in New York and she gets really positive feedback. And it's so positive that she ends up going to France and having another solo exhibition in Paris. But, like, it doesn't go as well as, you know, the New York one does. And here's the thing. Even though it wasn't going well, the Louvre, the fucking Louvre, purchases one of her paintings. It's uh, called The Frame. And by doing this, Frida Kahlo becomes the first Mexican artist to be featured in the gallery at the Louvre. And while she's in Paris, she's, you know, hanging out with, like, bohos and the cream of the crop and everything and like and she's hanging out with picasso and shit having a great time but at one point while she's out there you know doing her stuff diego wants a divorce so they get divorced anyway and that's fine so back in mexico frida is having an affair with leon trotsky as you do so trotsky you know he was in la casa azul but he actually moves out and him and the wife they move into like this fortress because there are just so many attempts on his life people are constantly trying to kill this bastard eventually one really fucking determined assassin manages to you know scale the wall or whatever he has to do and this episode is brought to you by bumble so you want to find someone you're compatible with specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection totally open to having kids in the future is a tall rock climbing libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on tuesdays just as much as you do bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you so whatever it is you're looking for bumble's features can help you find it date now on bumble assassinates leon trotsky so because Frida Kahlo was having an affair with Trotsky and both she and her sister knew the assassin. Both Frida and Christina were arrested because they thought they had something to do with this. Like they were in cahoots with the culprit. Luckily enough, people used their brains and realized this wasn't the case. And then at some point, because moth to a flame or some shit, Diego and Frida get remarried in 1940. And by all accounts, their second marriage was was a lot easier than the first. 
a lot smoother. Like when their first marriage was crazy golf, their second marriage was pitch and putt. I mean, it probably helped that, you know, it was definitely absolutely an open marriage at this point and they were, you know, doing who they wanted when they wanted. And for Frida, this meant that she could have love affairs with people regardless of gender. Because I don't know if I mentioned that Frida Kahlo was bisexual. Because she was. We don't have too much information on her relationships with women. It's almost as if, you know, society deemed it less important and therefore, and therefore did not really, you know, share that information too much. But that's okay. But like, history books seem to be more interested in talking about all of Frida's male lovers as opposed to any of her lesbian affairs. But like, whatever. It's fine. We'll get over it. Will we? No. No, we won't. So, at this point, Frida's health is getting worse and worse. So, like, all all through the 1940s, you know, shit's just going downhill. She's in constant pain. And because of her spinal problems and issues from all the surgeries she's had, like, this is how severe it was. Between 1940 and 1954, she wore 28 separate, different supportive corsets. Some were plaster, some were leather, some were steel. She's dealing with spinal pain, muscle pain. Her legs get worse. She has an infection on her hand which becomes chronic and, in a move that should surprise absolutely no one, she contracts syphilis. In 1941, tragedy strikes and Guillermo, her father, passes away. And this grief knocks her into this massive depression. Just makes her health situation so much worse. And by like the mid-1940s, her back pain is so excruciating. She can neither sit nor stand for any long period of time. Like she cannot hold a position. And you know, luckily, Diego's rich as fuck. So she ends up traveling to New York for an operation for a bone graft and a steel support, which are to be fused to her spine to straighten it. Unfortunately, the operation is a failure. Because of course it is. And one of the issues is, is although Frida is suffering, she's really not doing herself any favours because she doesn't rest. She doesn't allow herself time to heal and eat and gets so angry that she opens up her own wounds in a fit of rage. When it comes to her health, you can really see this in her artwork. So things like the broken column, without hope, tree of hope, stand fast, the wounded deer, all relates to her deteriorating state. In 1950, Frida spends most of the year in hospital, where she ends up having a fuck ton of surgeries on her spine, because there's a bone graft, and then a bunch of other follow-up surgeries, because it's was such a difficult thing to do at the time. I mean, it's probably still fucking difficult to do now, but think about it. This is 1950. And when she's finally discharged from the hospital, she's basically stuck at home all the time. And in order for her to do anything, she has to use either crutches or a wheelchair. But just because her condition deteriorated and her disability was becoming more severe, it didn't stop Frida. Oh no. She rejoined the Mexican Communist Party and is campaigning for peace, and she dedicates as much of her time as she is physically able to for political causes, doing as much as she can in the manner that she can. In 53, her right leg is gangrenous, and they have to amputate it at the knee because of the gangrene. Like, they have to just 
chop it off. And you know, having one leg longer than the other, she could handle that. Losing a couple of toes, she can handle that. But losing this massive part of her, this chunk of her leg, it triggered a really severe depression. So she is dealing with the loss of the limb, the excruciating pain she's in, the fact that her husband is having yet another affair, which, whenever the else is going on, maybe pay attention to your disabled wife who needs your help. All I'm saying. She ends up with a, a dependency on painkillers and tries to end her own life. She tries to overdose for whatever reason it doesn't take. And the ir- and the tragedy is, like, before her amputation, Mexico was really starting to appreciate her art. She had her first solo exhibition and people are really starting to see the artist Frida Kahlo. But then this happens and it all just kind of goes downhill. So in 54, Frida is bedridden. And even though she's suffering and she's going through all of this, she has this public appearance with Diego, they go to this, and they're at this public demonstration against the CIA for their invasion of Guatemala. Bear in mind, for most of this year, she is bedridden because she's really fucking ill. She ends up contracting bronchopneumonia, which is like a which is basically like a version of pneumonia. So 10 days after attending this demonstration, Frida is sick. Frida is on her way out. She has this, she's got a fever, she's in pain, she's, and she's got a nurse looking after her. And on the 13th of July, 1954, at about 6am, the nurse comes in to check her and finds her unresponsive. How she died is complicated. Her passing is, is eh, another one of those sticky wickets because the official cause of death is stated to be a pulmonary embolism, but there wasn't an autopsy, so there's no way of confirming that. The nurse who was caring for Frida, she was monitoring like the painkillers and stuff. She believes that Frida overdosed by taking four more pills than she was supposed to. So the assumption is that Frida took her own life and knew that she was going to do so because she had given Diego a wedding anniversary present that night, the night before, which is like a month before their actual anniversary. But, you know, maybe she was confused and thought it was the anniversary. Maybe she did take her own life. We don't know. Frida Kahlo, at the age of 47, has an informal funeral ceremony and is cremated. And to this day, Frida Kahlo's ashes are displayed in a pre-Columbian urn at La Casa Azul, which got turned into a museum. Her husband, Diego, stated that, you know, the loss of Frida was the most tragic day of his life. And he even dies like three years later. So, Frida Kahlo, and like for a long time, Frida Kahlo was actually forgotten about. And it was only really in like, and for a long time, Frida Kahlo was like, forgotten about and it was only and it was only in the early 80s the world really started that Frida Kahlo's work and Frida Kahlo as a person her art her political activism Frida as a person and here's the thing because of her recognition as an artist Mexico declared Frida Kahlo's works part of the natural cultural part of the national cultural heritage meaning that her art is not allowed to be exported from Mexico. And Frida Kahlo's appeal continues to grow. And one of the things that really 
captures the, the public consciousness is the fact that Frida Kahlo was openly disabled. She lived in chronic pain and she never hid away from it. She never denied it and never stopped her being who she was. Life tougher for her, absolutely. Disabled people are not your inspiration porn, but also that doesn't mean you have to act like their disability doesn't exist. Like, don't tell people you don't see colour and you don't see disability because fuck you. You should see it. You should see race. You should see neurodivergence and disability and everything else. If you don't look and see and acknowledge and are aware, how are you ever going to understand? Because you're just living in a fucking bubble then. But anyway, no, I'm ranting. I'm gonna... But anyway, and so that is the story of Frida Kahlo. So, what did we learn today? We learned that Diego Rivera must have been a very charming man because he certainly wasn't a pretty one. We learned that ignoring someone's disability is not a good thing. We learned that Frida Kahlo was anti-capitalist and anti-consumerism. So maybe plastering her, so maybe making a Barbie of her is probably not the best idea. But anyway, if you liked my retelling of today's story of the life of Frida Kahlo, like and review, five stars, say something nice about me, or, or don't say anything nice about me, it's fine, I'll, I'll be fine, it's okay, I don't need compliments. And that's not the only place you can support me. I have a Patreon, so patreon.com. I've got coffee. Patreon.com slash whodidwhatnowpod. Also, we've got Facebook, TikTok, whodidwhatnowpod. And Twitter, whodidwhatnowpd. Oh! Oh, and that's right. That's right, I forgot about this. Because it's, it's November and it's my birthday month, I decided that the next three Patreons, my next three patrons and my next three um, coffee patrons... You'll get to choose the next episode. Any tier that isn't keeping the lights on, you get to choose an episode topic. Huzzah! Oh! And of course, I can't forget recommendations. So reading! I am reading a fantastic book called Damnable Tales. Damnable Tales. Damnable Tales? One of those! Um, it's all about folklore. It's fantastic. I have been watching What We Do in the Shadows. I may have rewatched it. I like it. It brings me joy. Nadja. I love Nadja. I don't care. It's fantastic. I'll rewatch it. It's great. It's a tiger. It's Danny the tiger. It's great. And if you're a fan of true crime, like me, um, you should be listening to Men's Rea, M-E-N-S space R-E-A. It is a true crime podcast hosted by the lovely Sinead. And you should absolutely give it a listen because you know you want to. Go on. Anywho, I am gonna bid you adieu and say good night. And I will see you all on the buddy sword. So adios, au revoir, avoidazem, my friends. Bye bye. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.